Hopheads, I'm Justin Crosley. And I'm Nick Ziegler. And this is the Hop and Brew School podcast. Once again, we are back in the studio to bring you some more hop information, all of the things you've been craving. Joining us today, we've got Pat Jensen. He's the technical manager over at Yakima Chief Hops. Hi, Pat. How you guys doing? Doing good, man. I'm glad you're here. And Tommy Yancone, the technical brewer at Yakima Chief Hops. Hi, everyone. Guys are fresh off the airplane from uh, Washington, right? Yeah. yeah, come on. All right. I love it. So today, we're diving right into it, Nick. We've got some good stuff going today. Hop Chemistry 101. I've called in the heavy hitters, the guys that uh, know what all of the molecules are and what they do. Yeah. So this is going to be a good one. If you got, So I'm, I am a, a science illiterate. So if you guys can teach me about the basics of hop chemistry, then I think we've done our job here today. That's what we're going to do. The Hop and Brew School podcast is the podcast to connect you with the world's finest brewers and home brewers with more knowledge about hops so that we can all drink better beer. That's our goal. That is the goal. Every time. Everything we do here is just so that we can drink better beer. Uh, So we've got a lot to cover today. And what we wanted to really do is just kind of set up a foundation for the chemistry of hops. Uh, We're going to do Hop Chemistry 101 uh, today. And in our next episode, we're going to go even further with Hop Chemistry 201 uh, so that everybody can just kind of get this foundation for the rest of the shows that we do when we refer to the different uh, different chemical makeups uh, and components found in hops. Do I have that about right? Just about. We're actually going to divide it up a little bit. This is the 101, 102, 103 series because okay. it's uh, there's a lot to talk about in all of these. So we're going to sort of break down the hop into various components, um, kind of like we did earlier in the uh, in the What Are Hops episode, sure. but then talk about it from the chemical perspective. Got it. All right. So why don't we jump right in then uh, to hop chemistry and, and give me a basis of where we're going today. All right. We're going to start out with basically the two... Uh, sort of the, the physical separation of hops, where you got the bract, and then you've got lupulin. Okay. Um, and really, we've talked about this before: is lupulin having a lot of the uh, really sort of the, the strong, fruity, more flavorful oil components, mm-hmm. and the bract having some other components that are also of brewing relevance. Um, however, I'm going to turn it over to Pat here to start going because he knows a lot more about this subdivision than I do. W- what is the bract <laughs> specifically? The bract is the leafy portion. That's the, the the planty bits, and okay. then the lupulin is the gland. Bits. All right. A nice yellow resin that okay. everybody's trying to get out. Sure. The that's, the, that's the one everybody talks about, right, is the, is the lupulin and the glandular makeup. Yeah, that's essentially where people have found the most brewing capacity for the hop. Okay. From, where all your bitterness compounds come from and oils or essential oils that everybody has come to love and enjoy in their hoppy beer. Sure. But the bract can't be left out because it also adds to the beer. Yes. Bract. Okay. Brack carries polyphenols and a lot of esters, which we also enjoy and love and okay. provide a n- nice character beer as well. All right. Take us through it. All right. Well, the, probably the best place to start is the lupulin, or what we call the brewing anatomy of the hop cone, because essentially what they found was in the lupulin, there's the resinous material, which has been broken down into soft resins and hard resins, and then the essential oils. And in the soft resins, that's where we have the alpha acid, which is the compound known for the bittering component in the hop. So it is the potential bitterness. It's not the actual bittering compound. 
bump, yeah. So what, that, what does that mean? Why is it the potential bitterness, but not the actual? Because uh, the alpha acids by itself are shumalinones, or shumalones, essentially are are not bitter until they've been isomerized. So it goes from like a six-membered carbon ring to a five-membered carbon ring called isoalpha acids, or what we know in the brewing industry as a bitterness bitterness unit okay or the ibu can you explain what an isomer is just quickly an isomer is a compound that has exactly the same carbon hydrogen and oxygen but its just shape has changed so okay. it ha- actually has the same molecular weight as it initially started with but it, now it has a new shape so with so it can fit into a different receptor so that it can trigger certain yeah. like flavor receptors or aromas so this is kind of an important concept okay yeah. and with alpha acids you go from that six member ring to a five member ring and in this process it actually makes it a little more soluble so it actually becomes beer soluble got it so that per- gives you the bitterness okay and that's this is basically what's done uh, in the boil and with heat right that that's why we do that yes in okay. the kettle boil that's why you add the hops and in, in your wort boil usually to get that 60 minutes to get the most isomerization as possible it gives it in about 60 minutes got it so that chemical change you're talking about from six to five is what is occurring at that point absolutely that's all right exactly it. i'm following along so far this is amazing yeah not too bad <laughs> and hey at the end you measure the bitterness units and that's what you taste so Okay. And really, so of course, even beer fans, hop fans, you know, for years, all we asked about was what are the IBUs of this beer? And and it's a calculation that, that, that can be made, uh, of course, with brewing software uh, that we use or, or on paper, for those of you that are smarter than I. Can't even be done on paper. Well, it can be done on paper, but you have to, f- to factor in, like, if you if you try to do the uh, IBU additions for staggered additions over, like, a 90-minute boil, if you're trying to do, like, say, I don't know, a 92-minute um, IPA, just theoretically. Um, it becomes very, very complicated, okay. especially because there's two ways of doing it. You've got Rager and Tinseth, and we, I think you, these have been covered on Bruce Strong and some other shows. But these are two equations that have some constants, and they, they, they make some assumptions about how hops behave in beer okay. to try to give you a final analysis. But it's a, it's an awful lot of equations. But if you're just sure. going to do a mass balance, you can you can do okay. Okay. But it's one of the main things that we're looking for when using hops are, are the IBUs, which, of course, are international bittering units, if that's our measurement. Um, IPAs falling in the... In the what anywhere from 40 to 120 IBU range uh, the, honestly with the, the the BJC CP expansions if you look at all the various categories of IPA it's all over the place it's like it's like uh, we're gonna start with like 35 for an English style IPA to like you know theoretical maximum for a triple IPA from whatever okay so it kind of goes all over the place okay got it so we take a look at our hops we take a look at the alpha acids that are in those and, and what other compounds are we talking about today? Well, the secondary alpha, besides alpha acids, the secondary compound that's also looped with the group is beta acids, which don't get as much press because they're not beer soluble, so they're not adding any bitterness to the hop. They do actually provide, a. they can become soluble, but only in certain beers, generally heavily hop, dry hop beers, or your hazy IPAs. Okay. That's generally where you can find them. They're not very soluble. Why, why do they become soluble in the hazies and in the and the heavy, is it just the sheer quantity of them? Uh, part of it, because it gets the sh- chance, because you really did it. But another part is it kind of becomes a colloid, and you have like a bunch of oils. That's what's causing the haze and mm-hmm. the polyphenols. Mm-hmm. And those are bringing in the beta with See, it, essentially, or the lupulones. See, guys, you don't have to leave yeast in suspension. It's just all about the hop compounds. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. All right, so move me forward. 
on this on this chemistry. I understand that I, that I have these components, and I have to add heat. I have to boil to get them to isomerize. Is there anything else taking place that I need to know about in this level? Generally, other things, the amount of time or the amount of temperature you boil. So you really want a rigorous boil to isomerize. You don't want to, uh, was it the vacuum style... Yeah, boiling. so you don't you don't want low pressure boiling. That actually doesn't work. Uh, high pressure. Summarize. Yeah, so high pressure boiling will actually increase your summarization rate. So you can actually have a sealed kettle, and some people do do this at high gravity brewing to limit evaporation rate. Um, and once they've blown off the DMS, they'll cap the kettle and and boil at um, above atmospheric pressures, and um, it also enables you to get much higher temperatures. So you can boil like 130 C, which is something in Fahrenheit number Fahrenheit numbers. Yeah. Um, but it it will end up with a much higher efficiency of utilization of IBUs. Okay. But you can also get some other weird effects from that. But But that's a fairly uncommon practice. It's fairly uncommon, yeah. Okay. Uh, And and when we're talking about bitterness, I've I've always heard that we're talking about potential bitterness as well, right? Because I I can't calculate exactly what I'm going to get out of these hops, or can I? You can do it through your brew trials in your own in your own brew house if you have the right equipment in order to determine your IBU at the final. Okay. And there is a lot of difference between um, which type of hop you're using. Um, pellets will give you usually more utilization than whole leaf, and extract is even higher than pellets. So I see. Yeah, that makes a difference. Okay. Yeah. I mean, some 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 rules of thumb are I think uh, utilization for extract in a boil is about thirty five percent. Pellets is between twenty seven and thirty, and whole cone is down around. 25, I think. 25. So it's, it's, there's not huge differences, but when you count, count when you're talking about like a 14% alpha acid or a 20% alpha acid concentration, that, that, that can be a pretty significant difference. Okay. Um, something I think it's actually important to note here is how, like what an IBU is and how it's determined because based on how you measure it and what you're looking at these are going to these are going to be different things here okay so you're ready for me to chime in obviously yeah of course i am (laughs) (laughs) yeah so the ibu measurement the one that it's called the international bitterness unit is a uv spectrophotometry spectrophotometry method this method is it's not very specific so it's going to measure everything in a sample at a certain wavelength in which the wavelength uh compounds absorb light and what spits back out is what we call the absorb and that's how we calculate the IBU. Okay. And for this is 275 nanometers. So when you're measuring beer, everything that absorbs the 275 nanometer wavelength is actually being counted as an IBU measurement. That doesn't necessarily mean isoalpha acids, which what we really are trying to determine when we say we isomerize. Got it. The IBU is isoalpha acid. Okay. And it's it's what, it's what, more what like percentage? Seventy percent is isoalpha acids. The other is it just in the matrix. Got it. So the seventy percent isoalpha has thirty percent other stuff that absorbs two seventy five. Yeah. And the uh, the the IBU definition is um, is it. Is it one milligram isoalpha acids. One parts per billion. Well, yeah, one part one per billion. One part per million equals per million, one yeah. IBU. Okay. Yeah, so one, one milligram per liter, one part per million, yeah. Got it. So explain to me, Tommy, when you say it, it matters w- with different hops as well. Uh, I know you talked about the different hop format, but... But even uh, different hop varieties, uh, this isomerization matters? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the biggest thing would be your alpha percentage. Um, just the more alpha you're putting into your beer the more potential bitterness you're going to get out. Okay. Um, but the real difference just comes from the different formats. Um, I believe it just really has to do with surface area and how efficiently the heat can and um, solution can get at the lupulin glands to isomerize those alpha acids. Okay. And they can dissolve into it and get, get turbulently mm-hmm. absorbed. It's actually interesting you, you brought that up, Justin, because based on the 70-30 ratio, it probably will be different 
for varieties that there's probably going to be a 30% of the complex that's, that's getting uh, absorbed or that's absorbing at 275 that's going to be different depending or it's going to be slightly different on, on by each variety or is it fairly consistent Pat? Uh, it will be slightly different. I mean most of what you're absorbing outside of the iso alpha acids are degradative compounds from poorly stored hops. Oh, so, okay. So the higher the HSI of your hops that you entered in you might get a higher BU that you did not calculate for because those compounds that absorbed in your HSI HSI value, which is a again a 275 nanometer value divided by an alpha wavelength, which is 325 nanometers. So because those compounds absorb at 275 as well, they actually are smaller, so it makes them more beer soluble. So they also get into your final product. Okay. So your final beer might have an elevated BU value, but it's at a compounds that are not exactly iso alpha acids. And you're saying that that could be di- directly related to uh, the the quality of the hop at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how, how well it was stored and how, how much the uh, the alpha acid complexes and, and attendant particles have, have broken down. Okay. Or compounds, not particles. Excuse me. So at the risk of jumping ahead, but I feel like I'm just trying to summarize where I'm at so far. Um, I think it's, it's fairly obvious to all our brewer listeners that um, we use higher alpha acid hops for our bittering hops. Those are the ones that stay in the kettle the longest uh, so that we can get more and more of that into the solution of the beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then for flavor and aroma, and maybe particularly aroma, the alpha acid content becomes far less important to me because I'm not trying to actually get bitterness out of the hop, but I'm trying to get some of the other compounds out of it. Is that about right? Absolutely. Okay. Because alpha is the bitterness compound. Got aroma it. is the essential oils, which actually resides in the lupulin and in the bract, a little combination of both. Okay. Where the lupulin is basically your your terpenes and your sesquiterpenes or your myrosine, humulene compounds that people have came to know plus geranial and linalool which actually during the wort, be- wort kettle the geranial gener- and linalool will actually make it into your final beer okay. so those compounds will come through the whole brewing process. Got it. So let's move into those compounds then if, if we've covered alpha acid. Well we, we haven't yet because those are actually those are actually separate. Those are going to be coming in, in 103. Okay. We're going to start talking about those. So this is still going through the bittering compounds yes, yes people, hop oils are coming um, but some of the things about, I guess, it, let's 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 kind of kind of sort of back up a little bit. You, you mentioned how HSI is a measurement of it, it uses the same same method. It's basically talking. So HSI is basically an indicator of alpha acid degradation. Absolutely. Or, okay. Or hop quality. Hop quality. Yeah. It's I mean, still the best measurement for hop quality, even yeah. though the UV spectro method has been around since 1950s. Mm-hmm. Still the best measure of hop quality is still the HSI value, which, okay. is, which is from the UV spectrum. Now, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt around lately about how the IBU isn't necessarily accurate, and it's part of that 30-70 thing, sort of 30-70 ratio you talked about. But can you talk about other methods of, of measuring um, bitterness compounds in beer. This is this is relevant, I think, because if we're going to talk about um, how much bittering you want in your beer, and if you're actually going to go bother and measure it, and you're going to use these equations that are based on one method or another, you need to understand what's going on. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, UV is an easier instrument to use, but if you have the technology, you could use HPLC, which is high performance liquid chromatography. And in this method, you actually can actually be specific about what you're measuring. You'll actually separate each compound from the matrix and you'll look at each one individually. So when you measure the isoalpha acids in this method, you'll actually separate them from the other degraded compounds 
or the alpha and beta acids as well. Okay. How so, important is that uh, as a brewer? Because it does seem to me that it's a pretty standard practice, and we've come familiar with measuring these alpha acids, that we can fairly accurately uh, predict how our beer is going to come out. Oh, yeah. Abs- absolutely. It just depends how much detail you need in your brew house mm-hmm. and how much it requires for you to brew the sure. best that you could possibly can. Do you guys know of, of uh, commercial breweries that use this other method to, to really dig into the other uh, degraded compounds? Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, um, okay. In fact, once you get above a certain size, it becomes a, a question of, um, you know, I, I well, I guess process efficiency because if you're if you're putting you know over the course of one tank, if you're dumping 150 to 200 kilograms of concentrated CO2 hop extract into that, you want to make sure that you're getting everything out of that that you can because that's that's pricey. Okay. <laughs> that's a lot of money. Okay, um, and so you start looking at that, and and those those so the the I guess those questions of efficiency really start to drive that, and you want to have as much as you can. You want to have a rapid check, and then you have your lab checks. Uh, and typically, you'll do a rapid check with a with a spectro, and then you might send uh, the sample up to the lab for uh, for HPLC analysis. And you would do that on the first beer or first brew and second brew. But by the time the third brew is through, you'll have the, the, those readings from first and second. And then you can calibrate up or down. You can calibrate calibrate your alpha acid dosage up or down to make sure that you're not, so that you, you sort of even it out. So if you're under, just on your third brew, add a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Cal- calculate the utilization and all that stuff. Um, and if you're over, you know, add a little bit less and try and to, try to hit, try to hit your hit, hit hit your targets. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So it's actually really really useful to do that. Especially, I mean, that's that's the advantage of brewing multiple times into one vessel is that you can correct for things if they're a little bit off. Um, uh, in single vessel brews, it's pretty much got to know your system pretty well. Okay. All right. Now you also mentioned difference between soft resins and and hard resins. Is this a good time to to talk about the differences there? Um, it's probably just as good as any time. Soft resins are basically your alpha and beta acids, so that's usually your primary components. The hard resins are what we call prenylated polyphenol. And polyphenols, we'll probably talk about in a different episode, but as a precursor that's what the hard resin portion and it is in the lupulin gland so the polyphenols aren't always in the aren't only in the bract they're also in the lupulin glands as well um but they're different types of polyphenols and they have different effects so we're going to look at that pretty soon okay um can i see the notes for a second pat here there's something i wanted to ask you about specifically um so once we get um sort of you know looking at, at at boiling and temperature and isomerization and all that stuff that's all pretty pretty standard and pretty well known um but ph has a pretty big impact on this and i think if you've ever had a uh, uh overly hopped kettle sour mm-hmm. you'd know that even though it's a relatively low ibu like it's only 20 or 30 or something it tastes a hell of a lot more bitter okay is that actually because more things are isomerized or is it because less things are isomerized or different things are are, are, are become available or is it a totally a, a perceptual thing more perceptual because of the ph and how it affects your taste essentially in counterintuitive actually higher ph gets you more iso alpha acids so the higher your ph of your beer you're generally going to actually more dissolve more iso alpha acids so with that being a lower ph with a higher proceed bitterness you actually should have lower ibu actual numbers coming back to you so is that sort of why uh sour breweries in usually use aged hops because the alpha acids have degraded to a point where we get less of them in the beer? Not necessarily 100%. Okay. Also, with aged hops, there's actually other compounds that actually do have bitterness to them. Okay. And you don't see it by the UV method. This is one of those times where you might actually want your HPLC method. Uh, iso-alpha acid, or 
alpha acids actually degrade pretty rapidly if you don't keep them cool and keep them in cold storage like we always recommend. Mm-hmm. They actually degrade something that's called humalinones, and those are actually even more soluble than iso-alpha acids. And they have bitterness capability too, about a 0.7 scale versus 1 being the iso-alpha acid. Okay. So you get about 0.7 perceived bitterness for a humalinone, and they are super soluble, and you'll extract those actually very easy into a beer, even if you dry hop. The, and that's, so that's where that, that dry hop bitterness uh, accentuation comes from, uh, which is, so yes, a dry hopping does give you a little bit of bitterness. Um, there's a couple, so some other things about this that's, that's relatively important is that, um, so I summarized alpha acids, I, said, I think I mentioned last time, one of the reasons that they're um, effective at antibacterial uh, stuff like that is that they uh, interfere the, the, the basically the proton channels and uh, in the bacteria and, and inhibit their ability to survive for lack of a better term um, however beta acids also have antimicrobial character um, and they also impede growth and so the degradation of these compounds is what you want more than just the bitterness is what was what these a the lambic brewers are trying to achieve is that it's that you get rid of the ones that are going to hurt your bacteria and you hurt your commensal relationship there but they're still going to contribute some of the glycosides and esters and just other compounds that are in in, in the leaf hops okay that makes sense believe it or not. <laughs> right, so just keeps keeping up pretty good here. Um, Tommy, fermentation effects and like kettle effects on, on IBUs, like how, how, how do they, how do they, pers- how well do they persist in the liquid? Uh, we've done a few brews and um, we've mapped out the IBUs across the whole process pretty much. And um, you see a huge increase. Um, we were, one beer in particular, we were shooting for 40 finishing IBUs, I believe. Um, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but throughout the process at the highest point, which was at the end of the kettle or on the whirlpool, we were up to like 140 IBUs. Wow. Yeah, which, which is theoretically above threshold. But, yeah. Um, um, so through fermentation, um, uh, some of the yeast will, as the yeast settles out, they'll pull out some of those alpha acids, isomerized uh, alpha acids, um, which drops the IBUs. And when you get your final beer, it'll be at hopefully what you calculated. Oh, that's amazing. So I never, I never would have thought about that, that, that you, you, know, you plug it into my software, I want a 40 IBU beer, and uh, all of that takes place in the kettle, and it carries through to fermentation and the glass. Um, but you're saying, wow, it can, it can more than double uh, the IBUs in the kettle and then still come back down. Yeah, so those yep. formulas are calculating based on your final beer, not throughout the process. Got it. And, and what is it exactly that takes place that brings the IBUs down? I believe it's just the isomerized alpha acids binding to the yeast cells, and then as they flocculate out and get removed from the tank, they'll be removed from the beer. Got it. So we literally end up with less alpha acids in, in solution. In solution. Yep. Okay. And that's that's also why um, cropping yeast from extremely heavily bittered and then also heavily dry hopped beers can be problematic. Is that the yeast are they going to have a harder time uh, dividing and surviving and maintaining isotonicity? Okay. So got it. And this is also in part why that dry hopping uh, can add either perceived or actual bitterness as well, because now you're adding alpha acids in again, even though the ones from the kettle have partly dropped out. But you're not adding isomerized alpha acids. Okay. It's the humulinones? Humulinones, humulinones yeah. Humulinones. Pretty I good. I never get this right. I'm so what's the difference to me as a, as a beer drinker in, when I taste isomerized alpha acids and unisomerized? You won't taste unisomerized alpha acids, really. Okay. Um, you, well, I mean... They're very low to the bitterness. Very, yeah, very, very low threshold. Uh, very, sorry, very high threshold, very low impact on bitterness. Okay. Um, the isomerization is what really what, is what gives you that bitter snap. 
we're at a point where we need to take a break anyway. Yep. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to find more about uh, beta acids. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, a little more about the different measurement types um, and uh, how I- IBUs can be an imperfect measurement. So hang in there. It's Hop Chemistry 101 on the Hop and Brew School podcast. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Hop and Brew School podcast. We are still talking hop chemistry, and uh, I'm actually learning something here today, which I don't think I've learned anything in years, Nick, so that's a good thing. (laughs) Thanks, Jay. Um, Come on, you're keeping up pretty damn well. No, I'm enjoying this. I might actually, I've always said that I'm I'm like the one person on earth who can talk the most about beer while also knowing nothing about it, and this is just adding to that repertoire that I have. (laughs) There you Uh, go. So, you know, we've learned a little bit about the chemistry so far. Let's kind of take some of that knowledge to, to go into the next segment and, and talk about uh, how we structure a beer from this chemistry. Okay. Um, Tommy, you and I have, have worked about the, on this a couple of times. And so, um, so Tommy's our technical brewer, and we have worked on um, establishing some sort of, sort of base res- recipes from which we can then run analysis on the same, you know, the same base beer. So it's always going to have the same attributes. Uh, okay. And then we're going to try to look at that and look at how hop com- compounds behave in those and changing the processes and stuff. But we also want it to be a beer that is, you know, drinkable and something that you want. And one of the way, one of the tools that I've always used is something I learned from uh, Ray Daniels designing great beers is the BU to GU ratio, which is the bittering unit to the gravity unit ratio. Okay. Now, you could do that on the starting gravity unit, or you can do that on a finishing gravity unit. Um, just be consistent on how you do it. Um, but for me, it's I've always done it sort of a starting gravity and uh, and alcohol. So I, I count the two of them because, or I count sorry, finishing gravity plus alcohol because the alcohol is always going to provide a bit of a sweetness to it. Okay. And so what you're looking for is mouthfeel, fullness, residual sweetness, or perceived sweetness from the malt side, or even from some of the hops from like from the, from the fruitiness, and how that relates to the bittering units. Um, Tommy, is that? I mean, that's something that, that, I've, that I've done and I've talked to you about. What, have, what are some of the things that, that you've done in the past or, or that you've seen done at, um, like, Southern Tier, for example, where you used to work? And, you know, how, how would you approach that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's very important. Um, you just want to make sure everything's balanced. And, you know, if you try to make an ADIBU beer that doesn't have any residual sweetness, it's going to taste even more bitter and extreme. Um, so keeping that in a close balance, I believe you want it usually around one, um, you want your ratio or. Yeah. So, so if it's a, you want it around one for it to be balanced, if you, or, or perhaps a little bit lower than that. So that's because people are, are typically a bit more sensitive to bitterness than they are to sweetness. Okay. Um, so you might want your, your bittering units to be a little bit lower than, so if you're doing a 1060 beer, you could either run for a 60 IBU beer, or you might want to run for a, you know, 45 to 50 IBU beer and make it a bit more approachable for people. Okay. Obviously, 
New England IPA styles, throw this entirely out the window. Um, I'm going to keep referencing the style. But right. um, Well, I think there's other examples of it, too. Of course, we have to talk a little bit about malt, I think, in order mm-hmm. to talk about this ratio. You know, there was a, a period of time in the late 90s where a lot of crystal malt was being used for these highly uh, high-calculated IBUs, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think people felt that they needed this uh, sweetness factor mm-hmm. in order to back up the IBUs. But to me, uh, in some ways, that actually provided for a more cloying beer. And I think a lot of breweries have moved away from that technique of high crystal malt in order to get a drier beer. Mm-hmm. But I also don't feel that a lot of those beers have been extremely harsh bitter. So you see what I'm saying? We, When you're talking about this GU and BU, I think we also have to talk about a little bit about the quality of the sweetness, right? Yeah. So I think the, the crystal caramel thing that you're bringing up is something that I've uh, I've definitely noticed, and, and most of my brewing friends have as well, is that you know you can you can still throw it in there, okay. but, but be a lot more conservative. We're talking like one and a half to two and a half percent, not like... Oh, I'm going to make a 15% caramel <laughs> beer. Right. Uh, and then it's just this, it's basically like sucking on a, a hop flavored, um, like molasses candy. And it's yeah. just, it's just, I mean, yeah, there's a place for them, but those are like, those are, those are like double and triple IPA body filling flavors in a single IPA beer. Right. And it's like, well, I don't want that. I want to be able to drink multiples of these because they're delicious. Okay. Uh, and so the BU to G ratio for me is much more about like drinkability and it's, it's balance. Um, and so you, you kind of want to, to produce a beer that's going to, well, at least I do, uh, produce, I want, I want beer that I want to drink. I don't, I'm not, I'm not all about the 13% monster triple IPA barley wine, you know, with, you know, 6,000 pounds of hops in them anymore. Sure. But even a low alcohol beer can be too sweet and not make you want another beer. Correct. And also a low alcohol beer can be too dry and have too much of a hop presence and make you not want to drink it. Okay. And so you, it's, it's really about finding that balance. And did you say that this BUGU ratio? Is, is one one to one? It's it's one to one thereabouts. You can you okay. can kind of go you know twenty percent either direction. You're going to be okay. Okay. Um, if you go too far outside of it, you're going to sway it way towards dry and bitter or way towards sweet. Got it. Um, and I guess I guess one of the ways that and so so Tommy, you you work pretty hard on, on our bitterness calculator uh, uh, on the tools section of the website. Um, when you structure a beer, you know, if, if you're just making a single hop infusion, you know, Kölsch or an alt beer or something like that, and there's not all these staggered additions, it's pretty easy. It's, you know, it's a boil time, alpha acids, utilization rate, amount of liquid, amount of hops, and, you know, um, OG. Okay. Uh, and that's going to give you the, the, everything you need. And you can, the, the equation's not too hard. But when you start layering things like Whirlpool hops, and there's like 17 different additions at different times, um, what was the problem that, that, we were, that you ran into? Um, I mean, it's just, it's kind of hard to plan. Um, so we usually, the I think the best method to start using is take your Whirlpool additions and figure out what you want from an aroma perspective um, in the Whirlpool and then calculate those bitterness units um, and then kind of work backwards and work in more aroma that you want um, and then just back, back calculate all the way to your 60 or 90 minute edition and then make that the remainder to get you up to the IBUs you're looking for. Got it. So start, like you said, just work backwards. Start with the with the ones you're putting in for aroma and flavor. And like we've already covered, you're going to get bittering units out of that and then just make up the rest with your 60 minute hop, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Begin with the end in mind. And what does that do? That gives you a, a, a smoother rather than a harsh bitterness? Is that why you would do it that way? Or just because it's difficult to do it any other way? I think 
think just from a planning perspective, um, you just want to make your, you know, your initial additions are going to be just for bittering. You're not going to get any aroma. Um, so it's just basically the remainder. Got it. Um, it's just that it comes in the beginning rather than at the end. So it's easier just to add those that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so because you're going to get bitterness out of the Whirlpool hops. Mm-hmm. You're going to get bitterness out of the late edition hops. And those are the ones that you most care about for the beer character that you're that you're, you're producing. Okay. And it's the, uh, um, the bitterness. You can always just add more, but you can't take it out. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So um, that's kind of the way that, that we've done it um, and the way I've, I've done it in the past. And it's very similar to, to Jamil's hot bursting method. And I mean, hell, you know, stick your hand up if you're a craft brewer out there and you don't care about bitterness. You just care about the aroma and the flavor mm-hmm. and uh, stick your other hand up when you don't even bother to measure them. Um, which, and, which breweries do. Some people don't even measure because they just they know the qualities of their hops that they want to get and have they, figured out their system. They measure by flavor. Okay. And it's like this. Yeah, this tastes good. Oh, this is a little bitter. What happened? Oh, Timmy added, you know, um, Lassie to the well. I mean, no. Uh, Timmy yeah. added, uh, you know, a hop that was much higher alpha and perhaps even higher beta and then you know, hadn't maybe, maybe been stored poorly. So it's going to, you know, it's going to add a different type of bitterness to it okay. um, and more than you might even calculate for. All right. But that's, that, that kind of is a, a nice segue, though, I think, into the next thing that we we're going to talk about. Cohumulone? Yes. Yeah, let's do that. So, Justin, what do you know about cohumulone? Not a thing. Uh, I know that it's part of the the oils uh, found in 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 the in the glands of the hop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's uh, cohumulone and, and I guess lupulin are the things I hear most from from brewers who are into hoppy beer. I don't hear it from consumers like me, but I hear it from brewers. That's the basis of my cohumulone knowledge. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's been a large amount of discussion about um, high versus low cohumulone hops. Okay. So the high versus low coH, um, uh, they were described back when like, we first started contacting each other many, many moons ago mm-hmm. um, as, oh, you all, you all, you all want co- low coH hops because they, they provide a really harsh bitterness. Okay. I've... I'm a skeptic in general, so I tend to be skeptical about everything. And, you know, some might call me paranoid, but, you know, um, it's difficult to prove. Um, but uh, the the cohumulone thing for me was quality of bitterness is is hard to ascertain. Because when it, when it hits a certain level, it's just going to, you know, sc- scrape your face off. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, you're, if it's below a certain level, um, it might present as more delicate or clean. Is that because there's a fundamental difference in the compounds in the beer, or is it because simply a, a, a level, a threshold thing? Okay. So what's the answer? Mr. Jensen? No, I'm back. <laughs> I was getting used to being quiet. Right. Well, cohumulone at first is an alpha acid. So when it isomerizes, it becomes isocohumulone, so it is a bittering compound. So that's why some people will basically tell you that if you have more cohumulone, you'll have more bitterness, which is true. But perceived-wise, cohumulone and the other two, humulone and humulone, sensory-wise, they all taste the same. So cohumulone is not harsher, hmm. but cohumulone is a smaller molecule than humulone or adhumulone, so you can actually get more soluble in your beer. So you can actually get a better yield of cohumulone in your final product than you will humulone or adhumulone. And this is that point where if you have the HPLC, you can see those ratios change okay. in your final product where you might have had a hop that was told to you was 20% cohumulone. And that was true when it was alpha acids. But during the brewing process, when you get to your final product, you might see that cohumulone percentage jump up in the final product. So you actually extracted more. You got better utilization out of that cohumulone. So it's not really harsher bitterness. It's you got more of it, so you get more bitterness units. Bittering units, okay. And your IBU measurement will not distinguish between cohumulone 
G. Malone or add G. Malone. I see. It's just going to give you a measurement across all of them. Yep. Can you, just for the sake of this conversation and, and for those brewers who, who do believe that higher cohumulone um, is a harsher bitterness and, and lower is not, give me two popular hops, one considered uh, a high cohumulone and one low. Hmm. I'll, you can give me the hops. CTZ is like 30%, 35. Yeah, and I would say probably uh, a Simcoe Glacier or Simcoe or Crystal. About 20%. Those are very low cohumulone. CTZ and Glacier would both be low. Yeah. Okay. What would be no, high? Sim- Simcoe and... No, uh, CTZ is like 30%. 30 to 35 is already considered high. It is high. Okay, yeah. that's what I'm so getting Sim- at. Simcoe and, and Simcoe Glacier is like low. 20 to 25 ranges. Wow, so even a 5 or 10% difference is considered low. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, I, I wonder if some of the... It'd be interesting to see some of the ones that I've had experiences with. I mentioned uh, using Vic Secret in the as, as a bittering agent in the boil, and I actually did get some flavor carryover, but also it was a hell of a lot more bitter than I expected. Okay. And I, I can only speak to this one particular box out of this one particular lot that was in one particular storage facility for a sure. number of years that I had. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was markedly different. Okay. Um, and I assume it was probably because uh, of some sort of ratio like that. So I'm trying to figure out between the two of you if you're telling me that the rumor of high cohumulone hops is true and will provide a harsher bitterness or not. Because, Pat, it sounds to me like you're saying, you know, measurement-wise and the way they react in the boil is no different. No. Cohumulone will, I summarize, at a greater rate than humulone and add humulone. Okay. But, it, but plus med- it's more soluble. Plus it's more soluble. So it will provide a more, at least pronounced bitterness. It'll provide more bitterness. More value bitterness. Got but it. perceived-wise, it's the it, same it doesn't as the change. other two. So, so what we're saying you're is... You're not getting harsh yes. bitterness. You're getting more bitterness. I understand. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so then again, that goes back to that idea of, uh, of balance in the beer. So when you get excessive bitterness, but not enough stuff to back it up, then you're not it's going to taste harsher so um if you're looking at you're calculating for your your bittering units for your for your overall um sort of you know gravity points in your in, in your kettle um you're calculating your overall utilization at 30 to 35 percent whatever it is for your system but you're that's your that's the aggregate of all three of those so humulone and antihumulone might be going at 30 to 35 percent whereas cohumulone might be going at a higher rate so you're going to end up with higher amount of bittering compounds than you calculated for does that make sense it does is that about right yep Woo-hoo. Um, and so it's again, it's it's that you're getting more bitterness than you're able to to measure, to yeah. measure than you right. So now I think I finally understand because when I'm putting it into my brewing software, uh, it's only going to calculate those alpha uh, IBUs for me. But I actually might be getting more, uh, not just perceived, but actual bitterness from a high cohumulone hop than my software is going to tell me. Correct. Okay, so I have to just start to know and adjust for that. And it's going to be interesting because uh, this is a you know this is something that might be might be worth looking into for. Uh, on our side and see if see what I can what we can offer for that. But if yeah. there's a way to to calculate it, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, understood. Should, should be, he said. <laughs> So I guess this isn't really the techniques show, and we'll have to get back to that when we start to talk about how then we do get a clean versus a harsh bitterness and take these components into account. Uh, again, I would say it's pretty much the same as dry hopping. Um, so, Tommy, when we made the uh, we made a beer with some experimental varieties um, that were quite low in alpha acids, and uh, the bittering charge ended up being the equivalent of what was it, eighteen pounds per barrel or something ridiculous yeah, like that? It was extremely high, more than you'd ever <laughs> want to use. But okay. And so the initial bitterness on that was really, really harsh because it was just 
in contact with so much freaking hot material. Okay. Um, and then over time, it softened up a little bit. It actually behaved really weirdly because it was these are new experimental hops and stuff. So I see. We're not getting into too much detail here, but yeah, it's it's so so again, it's it's the same thing with dry hopping. It's the volume, time, temperature, and exposure, like surface area to okay. volume ratio. So quant- sorry, quantity, weight, like mass. Uh, time, temperature, and surface area to volume ratio. So if you're in a very large, flat square that's like two inches deep, but it's a mile wide and the entire bottom is covered with hops, you're going to get a lot of exchange of flavor compounds between the beer and the hops. Okay. Um, If you leave it on there for a day, it's not going to be, you're not going to get as much as you leave it on there for like four days, five days, seven days, 10 days, 21 days. And that's why, but then again, if it's colder, you're going to get more of the water-soluble compounds, perhaps not some of the more of the, the, the less-soluble compounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you need to look at how you're using the hops. So basically, if you dump a hell of a lot of bittering hops in at 90 minutes and you boil it for 90 minutes and then it sits in the whirlpool for an additional 45 during your cast... Mm-hmm. That's a lot of vegetable matter in contact with that liquid for a long time. Not only are you extracting all the alpha acids and getting all the bitterness into solution, but you're getting a lot of the other stuff that's going to be there. And so, you know, it's there, there are more compounds than just the alpha and beta acids that are going to contribute to textures and flavors and, uh, and sensations in your mouth that are going to accentuate bitterness. For example, lowering pH, the um, sort of the harshness of uh, various compounds that are in there that are going to, they're, they're the astringent tea-like quality of oversteeped hops. Um, astringency and bitterness, if one goes up, the other one goes up. Okay. Oh, sorry. If astringency goes up, bitterness goes up. But if bitterness goes up, it's not necessarily the same for astringency. And uh, so on and so forth. So those those are things that, that, that really need to, to, to be considered. I, I do not like as Pat said earlier, sixty minutes is, gonna, is about the sweet spot for for, for bitterness. Um, you can go up to one hundred and twenty minutes, but really the, the the there's just diminishing returns after ninety minutes. Okay, and uh, you can get up to ninety minutes. You don't necessarily need to do it, but boil charge at like seventy five minutes or sixty minutes is going to be more than enough to get your utilization without extracting too much um, of the other compounds. Other stuff, yeah. Okay, and again, if you're having a hard time with with getting enough clean bitterness in your in your kettle, extract is going to give it to you because it's just it's it's very clean there's not a lot of other stuff in there there's not a lot of cohumulon well <laughs> no um it's that that's still one of part of the alpha acids but there's okay. not going to be a lot of any other attendant compounds that might um accentuate bitterness got um, it so like uh some of some of the some of the material from the leaf um as well as just some of the more things that are going to they're, they're going to get steeped into the liquid from 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 the plant matter all right so I want to talk about some of the other qualities of hops, mm-hmm. too, so we can get into the chemistry of that. But I have a very important question first. Tommy, what happens to all the beer that you make for these experiments? Because you guys aren't a brewery, but you clearly have a brew system to do these things. Uh, yeah, so we're actually in the process of licensing right now. Um, so we'll, we will be able to um, not distribute, but sell and oh, cool. um, go to events and bring stuff like that. All the brewing we've done so far has been at um, local breweries in the area and Yakima. Oh, I see. Um, okay. So we've done experiments with them. We take samples, take some beer at the end. and I see. It's, um, not, a, it's not a brew house at Yakima Chief Hops. That, uh, we're uh, building one right now. Okay. Um, it's 95% installed. Um, okay. Still just working on finishing up the glycol system. Nice. And getting licensed. Because um, the drinker in me, because there's clearly not a scientist in me, as you talk about these experiments, all I'm thinking about is, wow, that's a lot of beer. Where's that going? <laughs> it's, but, a, it's a small, it small system. But yeah, yeah. Okay. but it's a small system. But yeah, the uh, the idea is that, um, we, as I said before, we will be doing uh, uh, sort of vertical tastings on hops and sensory and, and, and GCMS analysis on the hops, as well as on samples of the beer. 
And then, of course, we have to do sensory on the beer because that would be irresponsible not to really follow of how course, the, of course. The, the hops transfer throughout the beer. I mean, that's just, you know, it's, it's for science, really. Yeah, of course. Well, it sounds to me, I like the model that White Labs did uh, first in San Diego where, you know, they put in a brewery so that they, so you, you could come in, uh, brewers and beer fans, and, and just taste a flight of the same beer uh, brewed with a different yeast each time and so on. So it'd be a cool thing for you guys, too. That's the, that, that it's on it's in the works. I like the model. Okay. How about preservative qualities of hops? Uh, I think uh, anybody who considers themselves even a little bit of a beer nerd knows that hops uh, traditionally were used uh, for some of their preservative qualities. What are the things we're looking at there? It's all about antibacterial and basically what hops were known for is they were very good at killing grandpas of bacteria. So that's okay. how they got used in the brew, brewing industry to begin with. Okay. Well, they, they didn't really know. They just knew it was positive influence. Beer was tasting and holding a lot longer. And then they found that, hey, it's the gram-positive bacteria that these inhibit the growth of the beer-spoiling bacteria in, in the beer. So, okay. So that's how they came about. And so some actually, well, some products are actually made just for it's bacterial inhibition process. Beta acids are sold in the fuel ethanol industry right now and sugar beet industry in order to fight bacteria. Okay. And they're always very effective against even some pathogens like clostridia and listeria. So Really? Mm-hmm. They're, 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 so they could be used in the food industry, but yeah, they have to they, be bitter. That's a bad thing. Are there other uh, medical uses for hops that, that I haven't heard of? There there are a number of them, um, and some of them we're going to get into the next one, but there are... Um, so uh, beta acids and isoalpha acids are effective at treating, or they have demonstrated effectiveness in trials at treating colon cancer um, and skin tumors. Um, again, Pat mentioned earlier, they, they, they soothe uh, issues associated with Helibacter pylori, which is the, the stomach ulcer-causing bacteria. Okay. Um, and they also, um, interestingly enough, beta acids have shown to be very, very um, helpful in uh, for, for beehives dealing with varroa mites. Um, spray them in there and the mites hate them, hmm. but the bees don't. Um, and I wonder if uh, high beta acid hops have uh, better mite resistance than, than, our, than, than you know, lower beta acid levels. <laughs> I didn't bring the quality group with me. I'm sorry. Calling It would make sense. There's a linear correlation there. Of course, there. different species, but you know, hey, yeah. who knows? But generally, they don't breed hops for the beta. So. Oh, no. <laughs> bring it for the alpha? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's all the alpha. Um, yeah, so um, and there's some other stuff for, for some of the other compounds, but these are just the bittering compounds that are, that are of, of pharmaceutical significance, okay. or pharmacokinetic significance. Um, and there are, um, when we get to the polyphenols and stuff, there's, there's going to be some pretty useful compounds that are, that are under investigation right now um, for a variety of different things. Um, and yeah, we'll talk about that next time. It's, uh, it's, it's amusing because there's some, some, some urban legends that we need to put to bed. Got it. Um, what about nutritional values of hops? Beer is nutritional. There, I f- I feel like beers plenty nutritious. Um, you can eat actually. I mean, you can eat the shoots when they're coming up fresh. Uh, they're like asparagus or fiddlehead ferns. They're really nice with butter and garlic, but then really, what isn't? Um, <laughs> uh, well, we use it for cattle feed. So yeah. Uh, so actually, that's true. The spent hops from ex- from extract are about eighteen percent protein. Okay, which is pretty pretty dang high. Um, and so that's actually very very useful to to feed to. So once the once the alpha and beta acids, the bittering compounds are gone. Then the animals uh, will eat it. Animals will eat it. Like so, a lot of like if you see the green rabbit pellets, yeah, those are frequently hops. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. Um, but the ones that they eat, not the ones they leave. Yeah, got okay. it. Um, the green pellets. The green pellets. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah. the uh, yeah the the. 
the cows like them. Um, and uh, it'd be interesting to make some uh, hop-based protein powder, but I'm not sure how that would taste. That could be interesting. Well, with the bitterness gone, like you say, it might be okay. I mean, we all love the flavors and the aromas of these hops. It's it's just when uh, the bitterness is not balanced with something else that they become offensive, right? Mm. So. Uh, could be interesting. All right. And then, of course, there's all kinds of qualities that hops uh, provide to beer, and, and we're going to dive into those as we do more chemistry shows as well. But um, you covered in, in one of our first episodes, Nick, foam stability, too. And this is something I didn't know, that hops can actually uh, contribute to that. So what's happening chemically there? Oh, they actually, uh, the hop compounds actually form active complexes with the beer proteins, which actually creates the foam. So actually iso-alpha acids, and there are some hot products. They're called uh, advanced hot products, Tetra and Hexa, that are actually basically made just to enhance foam stability in beer. Oh, really? Do either of those products uh, contribute anything else? Or would they contribute bitter- bitterness and flavor? Bitterness completely. They're actually actually more bitter active than iso-alpha acids, but they're okay. actually more, they are actually used at like usually five to ten parts Per million and not much higher than that because they're not very soluble either but that's what makes them so foam stable I see. type products but the alpha acids and the iso alphas actually do provide okay. beer stability as, uh, foam stability as well so. but the main use of those products is foam stability yeah those what? two i mentioned that tetra yeah. and hexa okay yeah, so it's, it's a way their to, primary use was their way to up your ibus um post filtration you can just uh put them into your your line going into your bright tank or something all right um or post clarification yeah. excuse me and you can get like 70 to 80 percent yield out of them so instead of a 30 percent yield out of a pellet you can get 70 to 80 percent out of an advanced product okay so i I don't know if this is a quantifiable if you can give me a quantifiable answer to this question but so i always thought of course that that malt is is what contributes to foam stability and i know it does but i i really thought it was a hundred percent uh, responsible for it so in any given beer is there a percentage of, of what hops might be responsible for well, I'm sure there is, but the problem is, is that the essential oils from hops actually reduce I see. beer foam. Okay. So that's why you see these New England IPAs that are amazingly hoppy, yeah. but have zero head retention. And they've got a lot of hot protein from the malt and stuff, that they've got zero head retention. So they're diminishing returns. It, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a balance point. Okay. Um, and so you could theoretically make a New England IPA and add a bunch of hexar tetra to it and maybe get some head, but the amount of oil that's in there... Uh, I see. It's probably going to interfere with that. All right. Shall we wrap up Hop Chemistry 101? What do you think? I think it's probably good for the for the uh, bittering compounds of hops. Let's do that, because we're going to dive into it again in our very next episode, where we'll go even deeper. But let's just cover some of the key points that we talked about today. So, uh, you know, one thing that kept coming up over and over, because it matters across all the compounds, is isomerization, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you've got to you got to focus on that. Some uh, isomerize better than others, um, and, and you really need to pay attention to what they do. And also solubility. So the sol- solubility of those isomers. Okay. So like the uh, cohumulone is, and the isocohumulone is going to be more soluble than the adhumulone or the, the lupulone. Got it. Um, and then our measurement of IBUs. Again, we've talked about, and this is based on isomerization and solubility, mm-hmm. that your calculated IBUs are, are very likely to be different than, than your actual IBUs mm-hmm. uh, based on cohumulone uh, and other compounds. Yep, and also based on the fact that the uh, these compounds will stick to other compounds in the wort or in the beer during from then and then drop out with the trube in the kettle mm-hmm. or drop out with the um, yeast and other 
and you know protein schmutz uh, in that's the technical term yeah. um, in the uh, in the fermenter. <laughs> of course, it's a scientific <laughs> term. Yeah, uh, and so that uh, uh, and that all comes out uh, as soon as you drop it out. You'll see this this massive drop. I mean, it's it's typically more than sixty percent drop. Wow. And so I know I was so surprised to hear that when when Tommy mentioned it earlier too. But I am thinking back now so many times that I've tasted my wort. Whoa. Yeah, and I always thought, man, I screwed that one up. Like that's so bitter. And and uh, not many of my beers, but. Uh, Often they would come out fine. Um, but yeah, I remember yeah. that now. I, I, I haven't tasted wort in a long time, but I can remember just going, gosh, that's awful. That's why you don't also mix, uh, when you when you forget sugar uh, at the bar, at, at your taproom at a brewery, you don't go grab your first runnings out of your out of your, uh, out of your mash tun, <laughs> and especially not out of the kettle, because somebody probably didn't wipe off the excess IBUs in the, uh, on the walls on Friday night. Right. <laughs> All right. And then, uh, you know, as, as you learn from Ray Daniels, Nick, that the a BUGU ratio is, mm-hmm. is a great way to actually plan the bitterness of your beer, right? Yeah. So go back and is that in uh, Designing Great Beers? It is in Designing Great Beers and he gives a, I mean, it's a really simple metric, but it actually, it works really well. So I'll give you some some commercial examples. Um, So, uh, you know, as on the low end of things, um, uh, you know, I had the privilege of working at BrewDog and Nanny State was this wonderful, really, you know, tongue in cheek reference to the British government nannying people about beer alcohol levels. Right. Um, And so it was 0.5 was actually a little bit lower than that frequently um, within spec, uh, 0.5 percent alcohol and its starting gravity was 1008 okay so it was like two plate of starting gravity yeah and its finishing gravity was like 1.3 okay <laughs> <laughs> and so the uh the the amount of, of of hopping that that could sustain was very very low yeah so you'd have to add but we still needed to get some good hop aroma in there because there wasn't anything else um so we use a lot of dark malts and all this stuff and then we chuck the hops in but you know if we if we over hopped it even by a little it became just really astringent and tea like whereas if you you kept it a little bit further back it was good um, we were, you know, we played around with trying to raise the, the the finishing gravity of it, but it became very difficult to, to to guarantee that the beer would stop at a certain place because we were mashing, you know, 250 kilos of of, of grain in a mash tun that could hold 2,000. Okay, and it just the, 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 the ratios were difficult to manage, shall we say? Yeah. Um, but it, um, you know, that 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 was one that you know, if you get the balance right, it's really it's actually really quite pleasant. But it's yeah. kind of like a, an, an unsweetened iced tea of hops and malt. Okay, that's great. On the flip side of that, you'd have a beer like say Bigfoot from Sierra Nevada that's just this massive barley bomb and Mm -hmm. it's delicious and it ages wonderfully well but in order to offset all that sweetness you have to add a heck of a lot of hops okay. to try to keep it at least drinkable. Otherwise, it's just going to be cloying and, 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 and undoable. Um, Which is also why I've always called that when you when you have it fresh, it's more of a triple IPA than it is a barley wine. Absolutely. And, and then, so. in the, have you ever done a vertical tasting? Yeah. That's so much fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, really. But it's is. also really not fun the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> but the, those are, are those the, the alpha acids over time uh, degrading and, and the bitterness going down? Uh, that's what I certainly attribute it to. I remember I mentioned that caramel development that development of caramel flavor over time Mm -hmm. and that is the alpha acids over time um, or the isoflavones over time breaking down and, 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 and changing and it just le- it doesn't just leave the sweetness behind but it actually changes something and I'm not sure what I've got to look into this in more detail but it turns it into this raisiny caramel sweetness which can be pleasant okay and that's why like a barley wine is designed to be had fresh or aged. You get that sometime in the middle, and it's not always nice. Agreed. Yeah. And so, like, at BrewDog, we used to make Hardcore, and that was, was like a 9-point-something percent IPA, um, 100 IBUs. It was big. Fresh was amazing. 
nine months old was amazing. But between like two months and five, six, seven months, it was just a muddled mess. I see. It was like it was in that transition. It was in a very awkward teenage phase. Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. And then uh, also adding to this, let's not forget to mention and wrap up again with uh, how pH affects uh, things. pH. pH can either... uh make uh if you have high ph that actually brings in more bitterness units and you get more solubility out of most of your hop compounds even with their aromatic compounds you can get a little more solubility with those if you have a higher ph but generally you kind of want a more like the four-ish range so you're never going to go very high anyway so got it lower ph you get a perceived bitterness even though it's not an actual content of the isoalpha acids it's just your perception of the taste of the beer it actually seems more bitter to you but that's because you have a lower ph and that's why the sour beers don't usually require a lot of isoalpha acids in order for you to get a high bitterness what taste the, out of it what's the high ph range on that on that increasing efficiency is it, is it linear is it, is it sort of logarithmic is it uh it's pretty you're gonna get to it's uh, it's hard to really say it's going to be probably a little more on the logarithmic side than it is. So we're linear. not we're not going to get a lot of gains. But you'll hit four a, to six. You'll range. hit a maximum point. What like thirteen? Yeah, probably asymptotic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. But essentially, that's how in all those advanced products I talked about earlier, they yeah. use pH to put those in their liquid solutions. Oh, I see. So generally, if you buy because you're going to buy these advanced products, you can buy it like thirty percent ISO, and it's at a pH of ten. That's how they keep it in solution is by using ph to begin with so got it that's why it's more logarithmic okay so so, so well beyond uh, traditional beer ph's and i do not advocate trying to make a 10 ph beer <laughs> that would be bad for mouth sounds awful all right so that's going to do it for hop chemistry 101 today and uh we actually might do just a little more 101 as we get into uh, 102 uh in our next episode so we can give you uh, more and more hop chemistry uh so thanks for tuning in this is the hop and brew school podcast pat and tommy thanks for joining us this time thanks for having me you're gonna stick with us for the next uh chemistry episode right Yes, he's he's the chemist, so... uh, We need it. All right. Uh, In the meantime, you can go to hopandbrewschool at thebrewingnetwork.com. Send us an email there, hopandbrewschool at thebrewingnetwork.com. If you've got questions about this or any of our topics, you can also suggest topics. Visit Yakima Chief Hops at yakimachief.com. They've got all kinds of tools about hops. You can look up your lots and you name it. Plus, they've got an online marketplace coming soon, so you're going to want to go there. Put put in your email address, and uh, they'll keep you up to date. Uh, for when that's available to you. Find this show, tell your friends, on iTunes and Google Play. It's all over the place there and on thebrewingnetwork.com. Next up, more hop chemistry. We'll see you next time.